Welcome to Tesseract Podcast, where we unlock your power to innovate. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm going to be your host today. Tesseract's mission is to empower airmen, connect them to resources, and accelerate change across the Air Force logistics enterprise. Specifically, our team works as an innovation accelerator assigned to the Air Staff Logistics Directorate, where we partner with airmen to operationalize the new sustainment strategy. In this episode, we talk about OCONUS MICAPS. One of our most listened to episodes on our podcast is our episode with Chip Litchfield uh, talking about MICAP Prime. This is the next step of MICAP Prime, um, talking about OCONUS capabilities. This is actually a conversation we had middle of last year with Major Vince McLean, uh, Major Garrett Hernandez, and Captain Chris Ford. Um, we're pulling this from the archives because it's still relevant today. And uh, we think it's going to add value to our logistics professionals across the force. All right, here we go. So thank, thank you so much, uh, Chris. Thank you for, you know, for inviting uh, Vince over to the podcast. Garrett, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, so this is also my, my very first podcast. So I'm, I'm pretty, I would say, honored. And I, I feel like one of the cool kids now, you know, I get to come here to the, the Tesseract headquarters of podcasting. And, well, you're talking about being honored. I, I, the fact that I get to come on here and, and guest speak with you guys is phenomenal. Like I'm, you guys do such awesome work uh, that I'm, I'm truly honored to just be here and be a part of this. So that's really awesome. Let's talk a little bit about your your experience at ASAM. Uh, not very familiar with it. Um, how's your How's your time been? Oh man, a- ASAM is awesome. So the Advanced Study of Air Mobility. It's a. So if you've never heard of it, it's an 11 month. A kind of joint program between AETC, AFID, and AMC. So it's an intermediate developmental education program, uh, sort of like you know ACSE. Um, so it checks that in-residence IDE program box, but at the same time, uh, it confers a master's degree in organizational management. So you know, not only do I get to you know do that in-residence piece, but I also get a, a, another master's degree too, which is you know awesome. So this program, it focuses on um, supply chain management, logistics, uh, global mobility, and it brings together, you know, half of my, you know, 16 person class is pilots and the other half is logistics, it's maintenance, we've got a comm guy, uh, and then it brings us all together to, you know, get hyper-focused into supply chain management and logistics. Um, and, And, you know, each of us bring our own kind of perspectives and experiences to the table and we get to share that while going through this AFIT program to you know, get another master's degree. So if you, know, if you get selected for IDE and you get this opportunity, I, I cannot think of a better program. It's, it's awesome. So should I go to ASAM or should I EWE to Amazon, Garrett? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I think we can easily get into a, a competition here where everyone wins and everyone loses. I would say the the right answer is you do UE Amazon and then go straight to get an ASAM degree, which right. is kind of like what uh, Vince's uh, wife was able to do. Didn't she go from UE straight into Legi Fellow? She did. Yeah. So my uh, my wife did um, UE also. She was with FedEx, and uh, so she literally did her her one year at FedEx and then went to Legislative Fellowship, where she served in a congressman's office for a year. Uh, so you, you want to talk about like the best experiences she's got it that's awesome hey so at at asam um how do you get your your research topics is that kind of like a like here's a helpful bunch of them pick one or is it you know i have an idea kind of thing how does that work 
Yeah, so uh, you basically get to come up whatever you, with whatever you want. So as part of ASAM, um, you're required to do a, this you know, graduate research project. Um, and this is something that you choose for yourself. Uh, you know, it's something that you're you know, super passionate about um, because you have to be passionate about it because you're going to spend a ton of time becoming the expert in it. And so part of that requirement is to go and you know, find a sponsor. Because you want, you know, the Air Force wants you to do something that's relevant to the Air Force. So you go out and you find yourself like a general officer sponsor, and you know, they tell you some of the things that are eating their lunch right now, and then you get to turn around and you know try to help solve their problems. Um, and so anyway, I, I'm super passionate about sustainment stuff, uh, and I worked with General Sanford before. Uh, and so I picked him up to be my sponsor and then uh, tried to actually worked with. Um, you know, Garrett and uh, getting Chip Litchfield to to try to come up with a relevant topic for my research that I could try to do uh, to turn around and actually, you know, do a something that's useful for the Air Force and something that I'm still passionate about. Right. And so just to back up uh, real quick, General Sanford, uh, he is the DLA Aviation uh, Commander, Director? Right? Uh, commander, yeah. Okay. Um, it's a it, it's got a super long title to it that I don't have in front of me right now. But yeah, you shorthand it to just basically the commander of DLA Aviation. Awesome. So you're at you're at ASAM. Um, you've kind of selected that you want uh, General Sanford to be your your, your sponsor, um, and then you want to do something in in, in sustainment. And I think you mentioned Chip Litchfield, who is uh, if he's not a legend already, will become one shortly. Um, so how did that all come together, and where did you kind of derive your your topic from from that yeah so um <clears throat> so again i'm super passionate about sustainment and uh and, and you know across the air force and across the dod we're running into these like massive sustainment challenges when it comes to um the weapon system sustainment and uh and one of those effects uh, of those challenges is that we routinely don't meet our mission capable rate goals due to you know lack of parts on hand and and uh, in order to perform maintenance that's actually why um, you know, that whole MC-80 program came around is because, um, you know, at the time, Secretary of Defense Mattis wanted us to go out there and see if we could even get to this 80% because we were, you know, it's it's eating our lunch that we can't get on these planes up and off the ground to the rate that we need them to. And this is a huge deal. You know, our, our, uh, our competitors, think like Russia or China, are routinely looking at us and judging us to see if we can compete with them. Um, you know, and if we have a force that is so ready and so able to fight, then they won't even try to fight us. The problem is we're, we're losing that competitive edge. So I wanted to try to do a paper that helped address these challenges. And uh, so I wrote this paper called Accelerate Logistics or Lose. You know, obviously a play on, on General Brown's <laughs> Accelerate Change or Lose. Uh, and it's a study to try to determine to what extent accelerating or fulfillment for my caps can generate additional flying hours. So you guys, it's going to sound pretty familiar. You guys have a Pathfinder project called MyCap Prime. Um, and MyCap Prime and Chip were the inspiration for this project. Awesome. Now, if if you're on this podcast and uh, and you've you've probably already heard of MyCap Prime. Um, but it basically tries to answer the question of, can we speed up my caps in a way that resembles Amazon Prime? You know, if you're a logistics officer, uh, you have probably heard this question before. You know, if Amazon can get me my stuff in two days, why can't the Air Force? Um, well, I, we uh, turned around and we started to try to explore this question. You know, can we do it? 
And if so, um, can we get more flying hours out of it? And if we can get, and if, if we can get more flying out or hours out of it, is it cost effective? So um, Chipfield, uh, Chip Litchfield wrote this awesome paper exploring this concept as a theory. You know, he looked at the F-16s, KC-135s, and C-5s, um, MICAPs, going from one cone of space to another cone of space, and basically outlined this conceptual framework that said, if we speed up uh, MICAPs, how much could we speed them up? And what net effect in increasing flying errors would we get back? But so when he did all the math, and, and if you've ever met Chip Litchfield, uh, you know he's one of those dudes with a 20-pound brain. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he does all this math. And, uh, and he realizes, yes, if we speed up MICAP order fulfillment, we could save time and increase flying hours. But woohoo, you know, anybody could tell you that. If, if you drive a little faster, you're going to get to your destination a little faster, right? The huge deal that Chip found was the price tag attached to this. Um, this was one of the first things that people generally push back on when you talk about shipping things faster is the potential cost of it. Um, and so he found that you can generate hundreds of flying hours, hundreds of additional flying hours, not for millions of dollars, but rather a few thousand dollars, like one or two dollars per shipment. Right. Even um, if, if that, I think the number he used was uh, for a 15 pound MICAP, something in the neighborhood of 65 cents. Um, yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so less than a dollar um, per shipment. And, you know, if that's a MICAP, it's going to an aircraft <clears throat> that needs this one part to be able to fly, then, then you know you can save days of readiness time for sixty-five extra cents, less than a dollar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in the big scheme of DoD budgeting, if even if you increase every single MICAP uh, in the Air Force, that's it is nothing. It is budget dust. Right. Um, so in a resource-constrained environment, we we have to ask ourselves, you know, what gives us the biggest bang for our buck? Well. Chip found that speeding up MICAPs, going from one cone of space to another cone of space, can generate hundreds of flying hours um, for basically, you know, budget dust. Um, okay, so that's a long thing on Chip's paper, but <laughs> so Chip wrote this great paper, uh, but it only looks at MICAPs going from one cone of space to another cone of space. Uh, and the the obvious next step was conus to oconus MICAPs. So that's where my paper comes in. Accelerate Logistics or Lose is a, a study of to what extent accelerating MICAPs going from CONUS to OCONUS can generate additional flying hours. Um, so I chose F-16s to try and kind of keep form with CHIP's paper, um, still be operationally relevant. Uh, it, so CHIP's paper, though, was kind of highly conceptual, um, but I didn't want to go on the conceptual side. I wanted to use hard data. Um, so the, for this study, I picked uh, MICAPs going from Aviano, I'm sorry, from CONUS going to Aviano, Spangalum, and Masala, utilizing the same next generation delivery service in FY20. Um, so between Aviano, Spangalum, and Masala, they had about 1,686 MICAPs. Um, of those, 742 were in GDS MICAPs, so I focused in on those. Hey, can, uh, can and you, what, real quick, sorry, yeah, can you give a, uh, what is NGDS for those not familiar? Yeah, so sorry, that was the next generation delivery service. Okay. Um, so NGDS is a, a transcom contract with commercial carriers. And those commercial carriers basically take our stuff and they, you know, ship it from our bases to, you know, whatever destination that we ask them to. Cool. 
Okay. So NGDS over overseas. Yeah. So um, of the 1,686 MyCaps that I looked at, 742 of of those used NGDS. Um, So focused on those. And like I said, what I found was wild. The median average for MyCaps going from CONUS to OCONUS took about five days, which is you know, kind of great when you consider how far these things have to go. And so when we break those five days down into, um, you know, in individual components, the Air Force processing uses about a day. Um, and then the NGDS transportation piece um, takes four days. So next up, this paper, uh, now that I kind of know what the Air Force does and the Air Force is, you know, how the Air Force or the current status of it all. Um, next, I compared industry, or next I compared that to industry to determine what the fastest um, those MICAPs could be delivered is. So first, looking at that Air Force step, um, that one day that we own, if we compare that to industry, you know, we look at Amazon Prime, and Amazon Prime, you know, when you order something, they are picking it off of the shelf, they are packing it, and they are putting it in the hands of a transportation carrier basically the same day. Um, and so uh, that's a lot of time. If, if you're lucky enough to live close to uh, one of the, their um, fulfillment centers, you can get same-day delivery on a lot of the stuff that you order, which is just awesome. And then the, the two-day delivery that they um, can uh, provide to you, a lot of that is not necessarily based on Amazon's warehouse processing, but rather the shipment of like how long it takes to get that piece from that warehouse to your doorstep. Um, so if we're looking at the, the pick, pack, and ship process, um, and we use Amazon as our kind of benchmark, we need to be able to do same-day um, standard. So after we establish a same-day standard for the Air Force, um, next up is getting the NGDS to move as quickly as possible. So to do that, I looked at FedEx. Um, and FedEx, when they do uh, you know, a, a one-day, two-day, and three-day delivery, uh, but when I started to go through and do the research on you know, what they could actually provide, generally it came down to two business days. So while NGDS currently takes four days to deliver, to deliver our stuff, the absolute fastest that FedEx could probably do it was two days. Um, so I recorded all of that, and I took the, the price tag that would, um, that would have cost us. Um, but combining all of that together, when you look at um, those 700 uh, MICAPs, I'm sorry, the 742 MICAPs that I looked at, um, we lost about 3,568 MICAP days across just those three bases. So that 742 is 3,568 MICAP days. And if we would, if we can speed up our MICAP processing to that same day, you know, in-house processing and then that two-day shipment, we could have saved about 2,182 MICAP days, um, which is awesome. But the really important part of all of this is that when you do the math on, you know, what a, a day means to flying hours, um, that means we could have generated an additional 662 additional flying hours. And when you consider the fact that most F-16s only fly about 150 to 250 hours per year, that basically is the equivalent of an additional three F-16s at these three bases, so like one each. Um, 
And the price tag that's attached to that is about $300,000. Wow. Can't buy an F-16 for that, at least not in this country. No, <laughs> but we can get the equivalent of it for about 300K, which was awesome. Wow. And so that's, that's a, I'm reminded of uh, General Goldfein, the former chief of staff's words, you know, to, to Congress. It was, we need, essentially we need, uh, was it 386 flying squadrons, 386 flying squadrons. So that means more, more planes and we're not necessarily going to actually go buy those, those planes more. We're going to have to figure out a way to make the planes that we have work and last longer. Right. So I think that addresses that pretty directly. Yeah, absolutely. So there's this great MITRE study that talks about, you know, increasing the value of what you have right now gives you a greater net effect, which is obviously pretty straightforward. But if you have 10 F-16s and you can only launch six of those, well, then you only have the net warfighting equivalent of six F-16s. But if you can increase that to eight by, you know, now you have eight warfighting F-16s. When the equivalent, if you're just buying more jets rather than sustaining the ones that you currently have, you have to buy two extra ones, you know? So 12 uh, F-16s to generate eight, which instead, if we can use this, if we can use better processing, then we can instead keep 10 F-16s and still generate eight aircraft. Yeah. Um, so, Garrett, I want to hear what you have to say in, in your thoughts. Uh, we talked a lot about Amazon, talked a lot about, uh, you know, Air Force logistics, and you were there, you know, since day one of MyCap Prime. You know, how do you uh, see this evolution and, uh, and view this research? Thanks for bringing me in, Matt. <clears throat> Mic check. You, can you hear me okay? I, I hear you, beautiful voice, and you look great in your uniform today. <laughs> All right, sweet. Yeah, I think this is the eighth time I've worn my uniform in a, in a long, long time. Um, that's good. Yeah, so I, I think it's great. The uh, you know the two years ago this month I was preparing to graduate Ewe, and and at the time, even before graduating Ewe, you know, we were getting traction that that the A four was going to build something like you know what Tesseract exists today. Uh, you know, the the vision was always that if there were ideas like MyCat Prime. Um, or ideas like an Ursus, and, and they were just sort of sitting in the minds of an airman, uh, and, and they needed the resources to make it happen. That that something, an entity like a Tesseract, could make it happen. That we've uh, you know spent that time getting things off the ground with, with pathfinders like MyCat Prime, and we're sort of showing the enterprise that tweaking and transforming is worth it, and, and it sort of puts us closer to uh, moving the needle in the direction that we want to move it. That it is. Uh, it's really cool to see, and yet, and it's it's result. It's not just conceptual. The um, you know the the tie back to Amazon was really fun. I think some of the most fun I'll ever have in my career was sitting in the basement of the Pentagon with Chip, just getting lunch, and you know we were talking about his report, and and it's sort of just clicking. And you know I, I I've spent a handful of years in the Air Force doing logistics, but that that year that I spent at Amazon really changed a lot of things for me and opened my eyes to seeing things. Um, maybe some of the same things in a different way, especially when it came to how we uh, we operate our supply chain. And he showed me his, you know, his big gonculated Excel spreadsheet of if we just move parts a little faster, here are all the jets that we could turn. And I thought, man, I can't calculate any of the numbers you just did, but it makes so much sense. I almost don't need to see the numbers because because it's just something that we all know, right? For for any LRO or supply troop or transportation troop. You know, it's it's our hands on boxes, um, pushing pallets, uh, throwing nets. 
it's all that stuff that usually gets forgotten in in what you know gets termed a supply chain. But when with Chip's data and now Vince's data, it just shows I think something that we've all felt and and never just really had a vehicle to make it happen with. And that vehicle I think is this Pathfinder called MyCap Prime. You know the the notion that the pick, pack, and ship process. Um, if we were just a little bit more deliberate in uh, in tightening our performance windows, uh, then then we could deliver Amazon like uh, Amazon like results. And, and you know that it's not an apples to apples comparison by any means. You know, Amazon makes same day shipping, next day shipping, two day shipping on millions of items by the billions each year, billions of uh, transactions. They they do that at capacity on the you know, on a million person strong workforce and on hundreds of thousands of robots and hundreds of thousands of more scanners. There's a lot of automation and technology and there's a lot of data scientists crunching, you know, high level algorithms that that push their supply chain in a way that it can be responsive to the point that when you click on your phone, buy now, you know, within within seconds, minutes or hours, that item is on its way to you. In the Air Force, we're a little different. You know, we... Uh, we, we don't have the same growth mindset. In fact, we're in the opposite mindset in a lot of ways. Our budgets are flatlining or shrinking. Uh, very different than Amazon, who can sort of devote billions more each year to things like R&D, workforce, and automation. So how, how could we drive some of the same effects without um, maybe the same technology? What was a big deal? And it came down to, uh, you know, pull the part off the shelf quicker, put it in a box faster, and give it to a FedEx, UPS, USPS, or Amazon truck driver faster because they have a network that is built for peak. You know, I think it was one of the things that I never even realized until I got to Amazon, but you know, the, that, that amazing shipping network that we all take advantage of on a daily basis throughout the year is built for peak capacity in the months of October, November, and December leading right up to, to Christmas. You know, that's where e-commerce buys go big, right? Because Ant... X wants to buy a gift for nephew Y across the country. And Amazon has, you know, along with every other retailer has made that really easy to do. But it, as it turns out in those months, uh, when, when the system is just at peak performance in the off months, we get the same level of benefit, even if they're not the, you know, the same level of capacity. So I, I thought it was really cool that, that at chip and in, in Vince's research, we're leveraging things like NGDS, which is great cost, cost savings and value in expedited shipping. And, and it's beyond our intuition because like we all know, when we want to overnight something um, and we have bring it to FedEx ourselves, that can cost a lot of money, you know, sort of item by item. But when you look at that contract that Transcom has with all of these providers, turns out it, it's what Chris said earlier, right? For, for pennies on the dollar more, we can buy back readiness uh, by by selecting overnight next day or two day shipping instead of uh, instead of treating it like a personal retail account where it's like yep I, I will wait a week to, for this to get to so and so so that there's all kinds of things in there that just just make this really fun to do and, and to see and and it's actually on you know it's on Chris and the army that he's building now to make this just the way we do business as opposed to some crazy new idea yeah so. So I'm I'm actually curious. So I know uh, in the uh, like I guess let's say Conus in, in NGDS, there's something like eight levels of service. Vince, in in your research, what did you find? Uh, how many levels of service do we have for o- Oconus? 
Yeah, so actually that's one of the my big recommendations for this. So the next generation delivery service from Conus to Oconus, there's only one level of service. So it doesn't matter if something's, you know, just standard off of the shelf and, you know, no real priority to it, or if it's an aircraft MICAP that's, you know, holding aircraft down. All of that just goes this single one level of service for NGDS. And it, like I said, on average, it's like four days of shipment. So normally we we exceed our own Air Force like unofficial seven day standards. Um, but if we can have Transcom open up a new contract line with NGDS that allows for two day shipping, then we can still utilize this new you know, higher level of service for all of those MICAP type of uh, items that we need to get there like as soon as possible. And you can we can still use that four day next generation delivery service um, to to get that standard stuff there still pretty expedited. Um, what mechanisms do we need to set in place to ensure that um, that we meet those levels of service? Well, so uh, this one's interesting, right? Because the, there still needs to be a lot of study into the Air Force processes for this because everything, every base does it slightly different because it's not necessarily, you know, standardized and uniform. Um, but I think that there's a potential for an advantage there um, because uh, every base is slightly different and every base's challenge is slightly different. Um, you know, we don't get to kind of do a cookie cutter fulfillment center, um, uh, you know, that Amazon can do. And then Amazon can do a lot of, you know, in-house, um, um, a lot of in-house rebuilding and infrastructure development that we can't necessarily do at the, you know, the same pace. And so instead of trying to dictate to the, the each base what they need to do, instead if we turned around and made a goal and had, you know, IMSC put out this goal that says, hey, you know, same day pick, pack, and ship, and you know, Chip is on point when he starts talking about timing the critical pull, because we do need to time and measure each of these individual steps. But truly, what we really care about is getting the part out same day. So that's our, um, you know, that's our North Star metric when it comes to pick, pack and ship is was this part pulled up, picked off the shelf, packed and then ready to hand to um, the commercial carrier uh, so that they can you know, get on its, its travel. Um, so that's the one that I think IMSC should truly care about and then let each base do whatever they need to do to try to get to that. And I think that they can kind of come up with a, a couple of, you know, rewards um, that in turn incentivize this, you know, come up with some you know, best best TMO in the Air Force, best, uh, you know, M flight, D flight in the Air Force type of stuff to incentivize these squadrons to come up with new innovative solutions for their own personal challenges. Yeah, I'll throw in on that, you know, the, the, to metrics, we as a, yeah, as separate communities inside the logistics larger community, you know, we have some amazing TMO troops out there that extre they're extremely efficient with uh, given the constraints that they have, right? And, and that's downrange in dusty areas, you know, sort of austere environment or back at, you know, like like Chris's former place of work, right? The What is it, Chris? The superport is that the, what you guys call it? It's called the superport. Emphasis. The superport. That's right. And <laughs> Travis is America's first choice, and the McGuire one is what is that? That's the aerial port of choice. They're all great. <laughs> TMO troops, transportation troops. These boxes do not sit for long. But I think that to the point of setting standards, I think in the TMO community, it's just known everywhere you go. Twenty-four hour evacuation. You, you shouldn't be sitting on anything more than twenty-four hours. 
but 24 hours for a, you know, a box that arrives at, you know, 2 PM uh, on a Monday, 24 hours means I have till 159 the next day to move it. If instead that, that rule or that, that community standard was more like, get it out today. If it's a one, a my cap, all the other stuff can go 24 hours. That's how you get that prime effect. And you know, I remember Amazon did this for the last 15 years really well, which was, you know, it, if you click the prime button, you were getting it in two days. And if it wasn't prime, then it got there in a week. And, and that was Amazon's way of, of sort of encouraging growth and, and getting subscribers to say, yeah, I want that sort of all you can eat shipping. Um, but it, it doesn't happen without making it a standard to achieve. And it's worth sort of repeating here that 15 years ago when they were pitching Amazon Prime, uh, they, I mean, the highest levels of Amazon leaders told Jeff Bezos this was going to bankrupt the company. We should absolutely not do this. Uh, this this is one that the uh, the craziness of it uh, might work. And if it does, we might be successful. But it's very likely not going to work and just going to hurt us. And his hunch was always, if we do this, the strategic effects will change the game and will change the equations by which we determine what is good and what is valuable. I think that's what we can sort of see here in sort of just a small example in the Air Force, which is if we can change some of our rules and our supply troops, our TMO troops and our transporters can, can tweak a little bit of it. It's like, yep, th this might be different. It might seem expensive, but the strategic effect that it can have, right, that prime effect. Uh, could end up very well being worth it. And, and that's what I think that's what's going to drive a good supervisor to say something like every hour we're looking for one AMI caps, you know, in this sea of boxes on our floor. And every hour we're going to pick them out and move them to the new front of the line instead of just one big batch by the end of the day or one big batch. I'll do half of it today, half of it tomorrow morning. And, and in, in some cases, that's still all 24 hours. But it's that I don't want to call it the tyranny of a. Uh, of low standards, but you know that the high standard is what's going to drive that strategic uh, result. Yeah. Well, and there's that piece of understanding your strategic place in all of this too. You know, if you if we can translate to the you know our fantastic supply and TMO troops that hey one one less day means a story happens. That's awesome. And you know I, when looking at all of my data and stuff. The, of the 742 MICAPs that I reviewed for this, 129 of those went out same day. So this is entirely possible for us to do. I think it just you know, takes supply discipline and it takes that process discipline to make sure that we pull that part as soon as an order comes in and then TMO understand that they gotta push it as fast as possible. Yeah, I think that's what I've heard Vince and Chip talk about so well. And, you know, the, the hero work that happens and that we prove every day is possible. Why don't we make that the standard for our most important uh, requisitions in the supply chain? I think that's what we, we're really sort of trying to get to here. And, you know, I'm sort of preaching to the choir with Chris because Chris is the guy who's going to get tasked with the job of staffing the interim change guidance <laughs> and, and ultimately like getting those changes to the paragraphs in the various AFIs, AFMANs, TTPs, so on and so forth. But, but you're right, that supply discipline, uh, it, it's uh, being disciplined and knowing what to be disciplined about. Because it's all a trade-off. For every 1A MICAP that we move to the front of the line, we're cutting potentially hundreds of other requisitions. But that's us knowing what, what deserves to be at the front and what deserves to sort of wait. Yeah. All, all TP1 is not created equal is, uh, is, is something that I think we have to sort of hold ourselves accountable to. 
right? Transportation priority one at the top of the list, it should be broken down and is broken down into smaller subcategories. Um, and, and that's just us, you know, being extra accountable to it. Yeah. I, so I, and it kind of uh, struck me today. Um, I've been uh, trying to explain, you know, what I'm doing with, with, with work to family and friends. And somebody asked me, you know, well, what does my cap really matter? Like, is it that important? And it hit me today when I was coming over here, right? So I was looking for my headphones and my car keys. And my wife had taken the, the like the main set of car keys. And so I was left with the, uh, the spares. And I was dashing around the house trying to find the, the, the spares, right? So I had a working car, except for one thing, right? I needed one thing in order to go. And so I was, I was sweating a little bit, you know, maybe <clears> I, you know, maybe yelled at the dog a little bit to get out of the way. But it, it was so important for me to have that, that one little thing and it hit me, man, that, that's, that's a my cap, right? My, my, my headphones are not, not my cap. I don't need those. They'd be great, but don't need them. But that, that car key is the most important thing. So for our maintainers on the line, you know, that, that my cap is the most important thing to get that, you know, get that jet up, up off, off the ground. And I think, I think what we can do here is really get after it. You know, I think uh, Vince, what, what you're working on and what you've worked on is, is really um, kind of getting there. So um, what, what do you think that kind of the next steps are? Uh, to get more speed for my caps from Conus to Oconus, and I imagine from back too, right? Well, so yeah, the uh, a big piece of that is that process discipline that that we were kind of just talking about is instituting process discipline from within our own, our own piece uh, within our own house to make sure that we pull pick pack and um, ship those my caps as quickly as possible, but then working with Transcom to set up that new level of NGDS service. Because if we can get these parts out within two days, or I'm sorry, from CONUS to OCONUS within two days, then we can literally save thousands of, of my cap days, which in turn generates hundreds of sorties. And again, I take it back to that strategic piece of, uh, you know, our, our enemies are, lo are looking at us. They are watching us every single day. And if we can generate more sorties, if we can show that we are so ready and so capable, then our enemies aren't even going to try to fight us. And all of that comes back to speeding our processes up and making it so that we can generate as many flying hours as possible. What are you going to wish you had more time to study and to research? And um, what do you think that next evolution of research could have been if you had more time there today, Sam? Well, so I think that there's a lot of ways that this can go. You know, one thing that needs to, we need to keep looking at this. We need to keep expanding it. You know, I, I did a ton of work into, you know, one specific weapon system, that F-16. Um, so I think we need to look at other weapon systems to make sure that we can still get this same effect from other weapon systems too. We need to expand this to more bases and more regions because, you know, I, I picked three bases for this because I wanted to make sure that you know, we wouldn't just get a one-off fluke um, from one base versus another base. Uh, and, and yep, sure enough, you know, we can generate additional flying hours from any base that we look at. You know, the, the savings uh, are everywhere to be had. We just have to work on it. But if we continue to expand this and continue to do, uh, you know, more weapon systems and more bases, then we're going to keep, you know, building that argument for why this is such an important thing to do. Um, and beyond that, so one of the other things, kind of a, a offshoot tangent that I would kind of recommend somebody start to study um, is enterprise research planning software for logistics. You know, one of the big challenges that I had in all of this is that we don't have, you know, one system that tracks it all. We don't have one system that combines, you know, the flying demand with the demand for parts at the location, 
the parts ordering, the transportation, the tracking of the transportation, you know, there's no one system that combines all of that, all of that together. So in order to generate like the story for every single one of those MICAPs, I had to go to three separate systems. Um, and in those three separate systems, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that they're all going to link up. You know, there's no unifying or, or, or um, unique identifier that connects one order to from you know, ILSS, the supply system, to CMOS and, or IGC, the transportation system. Um, and so I lost like five over 500 pieces of data through this process simply because we just don't have a system that combines it all together. And so that that bad data plagues us every single day. And then we don't have a great way of measuring what what things we need to order in the Air Force to meet future demand requirements, all because we don't have this ERP software. Now, and this is it's super important. You know, we we really lack supply chain visibility in the Air Force. And we knew that this was a problem back in like the 2000s, right? So that's why we actually tried to solve this problem uh, by getting a software system called ECSS. And, uh, and I'm sure Garrett's off somewhere laughing uh, as the ECSS is notorious as a gigantic kind of dumpster fire that we lost um, or we spent about a billion dollars in the Air Force and got nothing for it. But it wasn't because our systems are too difficult or our processes are too complex or what we do is just so dynamic and so unique. It's, it's just not it. The fact is we failed that because of poor acquisitions processes um, with in-house. We failed ourselves basically. But we needed this stuff back in the 2000s and it's now 2021 and we still don't have it. And we desperately need this stuff. If we're going to meet these goals, if we're going to be as efficient and, and you know, try to someday be as, uh, you know, have that same type of performance as Amazon and FedEx, then we need um, ERP software. So uh, my recommendation for another piece of study, if you know, somebody has the time to look at this, uh, would be that they take a look at what um, ERP software we could use in the Air Force and what that would get structured to look like so that we can, you know, stop having, you know, tens of tons of different um, software systems that don't talk to each other and connect. We can have one system that helps us modify and run our day-to-day -day operations and connect that you know, downrange demand of a flying operation to the acquisitions and sustainment processes within the Air Force and the DOD. Garrett, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, Vince is 100% right. You know, the, uh, in, I like the way he put it. You know, supply chain is supply chain. Um, you, you take a lot of our NCOs, our airmen, our senior NCOs, our young officers, and they're immediately marketable at companies like FedEx or UPS or Amazon because of the experience we give them uh, and, and the experience they earn on active duty, just learning the IT system you know, between the two uh, cultures is a process, but it's not, it's not difficult. It's all translates back to uh, I'm picking up a box and moving it from a shelf to a truck, from a truck to a plane, plane to a truck, truck to a you know, doorstep. The, uh, the need for software was definitely something that we highlighted in that initial research paper for Tesseract. I mean, that was the, you know, the, the right hook, left hook was if you had a team of subject matter experts who can 
identify constraints in a manual process and iron them out using something like theory of constraints, you know, that fourth step in that, in that uh, management philosophy is elevate. How do you elevate your constraint? And this day and age, you know, there's a great quote, software is eating the world. Uh, you know, that, that was uh, uh, almost 10 years ago, that quote was uttered. And in many ways, uh, our culture is eating our ability to onboard legitimate software into the Air Force. So the, uh, in some sense, the targets are changing because the years that it takes us to deliver enterprise software are, are not keeping pace with the latest advances in, in let's say, commercial software development. So I, I think there is a time where, you know, 15 years ago, we set out to buy a bunch of ERP. Uh, which you know, enterprise enterprise resource planning is that right? Yeah. And and it it plugs into all of it is that we do, and it does all the planning and the accounting and the financials and the ITV. And and these days, you know, when, when in a mobile world, there's a lot of it that's like, no, you can custom software, which is different than enterprise. You can custom microservices, which feed into a a larger system in the back end. But that you know, you pick up your phone the 50 to 60 to 100 apps that you use in a lot of cases are not ERP. They're custom one, two, or three very specific tasks. And, and they all plug into a big, you know, big uh, uh, architecture, data architecture grid in the background. And, and that could feed an ERP. So there's just, there's just new software developments. A, a lot of this is stuff that, you know, I, I imagine I'm only one inch deep into understanding, but that one inch was, was a lifetime worth of knowledge that I wasn't able to talk about before I sort of got to go see it at an Amazon. Software is still eating the world. We still need some better software to help our airmen on the front line who are scanning boxes and you know pushing them out the door to the back end where our analysts and our scientists have to make big strategic level decisions once you've sort of bottled up all the info from across. But but it's great. Look at that. To even to even prove if we should be sending packages faster. Look at it. It took a field grade officer, a full year of research and like manually painstakingly pulling data out of various systems and combing through them. I imagine Vince line by line, hours and hours and hours of tedious work. Fair? Yeah, Garrett, you absolutely hit it. I mean, I'm talking weeks, literally weeks of forensics data or forensics effect that I had to do um, pulling 1,600 plus MyCaps and going line by line, uh, the supply data, <clears throat> and then taking the supply data over to IGC or CMOS, and then inputting the NSN manually so that I can pull up, uh, you know, hopefully the data uh, for transportation right there. And, you know, if, if I got lucky, then there was only that one NSN order within the time window. And so I could just use, hey, all right, here's the you now the transportation data. And now let me take this and manually move it over to plug it in. And now, luckily, uh, now I'll have the complete picture of this MyCap story. And now let me do that 1,686 more times. Uh, and it, it, I, I got to tell you, it was excruciating. Uh, and that was if you were lucky. What if you weren't weren't lucky? When you uh, look so at the data, un unlucky. <laughs> yeah. So unlucky means uh, I take the NSN from ILSS, the supply system that basically says, "Hey, this is a MyCap order." I go over, I plug it into IGC or CMOS, and I could get nine hundred returns. And now I have to go line by line of the returns 
because there's no unique identifier for each order, right? I literally just had the NSN. And so maybe one of those pieces was the MyCap order and all of the others were just standard orders. And so I had to go line by line through every single one of those orders to find the ones that meet my date range requirement. And maybe CMOS and IGC have it labeled as TP1, maybe it doesn't. You know, the, the fact is that, you know, bad data in means bad data out. If somebody didn't input the data, because, you know, there's dude, dudes who are dudes and dudettes who are doing this manually. Um, if, if they didn't input it the right way, well, then I, that was just all lost data. And that's literally, I lost 34% of the 1,600 plus MyCaps that I looked at. 34% of it was just bad data. Brilliant. Um, Vince, to, to wrap this, uh, this conversation up, I have, I have one last question. Sure. Is SpaceX rocket cargo going to put you out of business? <laughs> you know, the pessimistic, pessimistic, view, a pessimistic view or the optimistic view? Oh, well, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so my pessimistic view uh, is no. Right. So when you start talking about the infrastructure requirement for uh, SpaceX type of stuff, um, holy crap, uh, it, you know, you're talking about needing uh, launch pads, landing pads and all sorts of other delivery issues. And, and so maybe that last maybe that last mile logistics is where we start getting into, because instead of C5s and C17s, we, we replace, um, you know, with rocket cargo type of stuff um, and maybe it gets there a little bit faster. But you know, the the complex loading scenarios that you start talking about where you know how do you even get things into a rocket and stable so that it can get launched over that loading requirement is pot is potentially even greater uh, than your loading of a c5 and c17 when you look at that holistic timeline to get something from one hub to another hub not even talking about the spokes the timeline may still be greater now all right if we want to talk about my optimistic view Maybe they acknowledge that those are challenges, and maybe in the future there is some way that uh, you know that rocket can like drop something as it's still flying, and maybe there, there's like little shootouts that uh, you know the cargo gets to get dropped off as if it was you know being parachuted off of the back of a C-17. Maybe they figure out how to do something like that, and they just completely do an end run around the whole end, uh, hub and spoke concept. If that happens, awesome. I would love to go out of a job for something like that. Um, but right now, you know, I, I just don't see it yet. Maybe that's just because I'm not visionary enough. I don't know. Garrett, what do you think? I know you're an Elon Musk fan. Oh, yeah, man. I, I think what, what I, everything Vince said just shows you, like, like look at, that's, that's an Air Force logistician talking about the things that aren't sexy and very few people are sort of equipped to think about until it needs to happen. Yet I consider myself lucky to be uh, invited to professional conferences and/or you know booze fest, floating rivers, uh, getting to hear a lot of this this good stuff. I, I don't know. I I think part of me more so looks at it as all the stuff that we sort of see now. A lot of it was unexpected. Uh, you know, it, it sort of happened out of nowhere. It was a random confluence or convergence of other sort of independent events that make it just the way the world is. You know that. The whole SpaceX, you put a MICAP in a rocket and it's 30 minutes from, you know, New Jersey to Shanghai because that's where you need it. That, that's cool. I, it seems to me, though, that 
we would be doing using rockets for something other than my caps by then. Um, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I, I, uh, I would love to actually, let's do a pod on that, like a crazy future fourth industrial revolution pod and, and get some, uh, some people who are way smarter than us to talk about that tech stuff. Like I can see DZ Mike going crazy on that. Uh, Matt, what do you think, Chris? Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just picturing a like salty old port dog loading up a, 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 a starship rocket. Right. And like trying to figure out the like load planning for that. Like, well, which way are you going to come in? Nose first tail. Where are you going to do the flip? I got to know. So I got chain it down. Right. And then just, yeah, you know, they're not letting port dogs next to a rocket. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. (laughs) It has some dents, but it'd be awesome. Thank you again for listening to Tesseract Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn. Any references to trademarked, copyrighted, or protected products or services such as books, movies, or businesses are used here for the limited purpose of education and professional development of Air Force Airmen. If you have any questions, please contact us at www.tesseract.af.mil.